Welcome to a new episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand from the Star Tribune at TCO Performance Center in Egan. Thank you. Customary wave. Wouldn't be an Access Vikings podcast without it, but the Vikings are going to have to somehow move on without Kirk Cousins. You like that transition? I did. That was very uh, nicely done. Uh, we just heard from Quay Adolfo Mensa, the Vikings GM, talking about how the Vikings stood pat at the trade deadline. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to make a move, he said, and they did not see the long-term move to, I think he phrased it as, take us to where we want to go in terms of being in important games and winning them. So they make the move for Josh Dobbs. They trade Ezra Cleveland to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's a little more rebuild than competitive, I would say, uh, even though Josh Dobbs did have some good starts for the uh, Cardinals. But we'll go ahead and talk about these moves, talk about what we just heard from Kwese Adolfo Mensa, and we all three were there. So uh, ben, start with you. What was your main takeaway from what Quasey had to say just in terms of the direction of this team, about Kirk, about really any of it? Yeah, I mean, the fact that he said making a trade, or, or I guess he put it not making a trade, keeping the thing together doesn't affect our long-term plan that much, I thought was interesting because you could make the case that if you had gotten a first or second round pick for Daniil Hunter, and maybe they didn't get those offers. Maybe what the offers they got for Daniil Hunter wouldn't have made that big of a difference if it's a third round pick or something like that. But you could make a case that if they got a high pick for Daniil Hunter, it would help them for the future to kind of go after the quarterback if they need to do it. So you could make a a case in that scenario that staying in for this year does affect what you're going to do going forward. Maybe it gives us a sense of the offers weren't that great, or maybe they're considering resigning him. I I think it's probably a little more about that the offers weren't that great. But I thought that was interesting that he didn't see it as this sort of binary stay in this year, be competitive next year kind of thing. And and you know, we'll see if that's right and if that is true. Um, but I, I I found that fairly interesting and just the the fact that they again were I think more open more interested I guess it you know again this could be stuff that they're just saying right now because they have to but they sounded more open to the idea of bringing Kirk Cousins back than you might think given the fact he'll be 36 and is coming off an Achilles and part of the reason they didn't sign him in the spring was not wanting to guarantee his age 37th season so that stuff I thought was uh was keep worth keeping in mind as we go forward yeah I thought Quasi talking about cousins talking about hey I can get back by OTAs like talking very much about a future that is talking about a future with certainty that is uncertain yes right now like you know and again that's just you know that's what that's what a player under contract will say that's what a person who likes it here which presumably Kirk Cousins likes it here will say like I'm sure he wants probably to stay here and find some sort of medium term solution at least some sort of you know way to kind of get to the end of his career here however that is with another contract and the play he was playing justified that maybe more than what we saw last year the hunter stuff was interesting I do wonder Ben do they stand to get a a decent compensatory pick if he signs elsewhere and is that probably maybe in the range of what they could have maybe gotten in a trade right now well they would probably get a three for him but that is hard to just say yes this is what it would have been because the formula would factor in 
free agents they sign that could cancel out. It, it, it's based on the contract he would sign somewhere with somebody else and the contracts that they would sign for free agents from other teams. So if they did nothing and he left and they didn't make some big move in free agency that would potentially cancel it out, it could be a third in 2025. Now, the general rule is a third in 25 would be equivalent to a fourth in 24. In terms of like as a trade, as trade yeah, kind of? Yeah, yeah if you're going to do the, the Jimmy Johnson charts, and, and different charts have different values on these things in terms of how quickly the picks regress and that sort of thing. But that's the general kind of back of the napkin math is that you you move it back around if you're moving it up a year. So if that's the case, I would think they had offers for at least a a three this year. I don't think it would have been hard no, to get a so. four for him this year. So yeah. you know, maybe in that case it tells you, no, we are gonna keep this thing together and, and roll with it and see what happens. I it's um it's a it continues to be an interesting approach, and it's not necessarily the one that I would expect a quote unquote analytics guy. And he, I say quote unquote because he would quibble with that term. Um, it's not the approach that I would expect a GM steeped in analytics to necessarily take. So it, it continues to make you wonder what is all going into that decision? What's all in the sauce that leads us to that? Well, certainly a head coach and a coaching staff that wants to win games um, and, and maybe not uh, wouldn't be all on board with, with dealing their best defensive player. So he's got to work with the locker room. I mean, even O'Connell, when they dealt Ezra, talked about the impact on the locker yeah. room and said, I'm aware of that. Like dealing your best defensive player is that's obviously, as we all know, a whole nother level. And I think it's interesting to round out the pass rusher market. There weren't obviously needy teams. Chicago acquires Montez Sweat. Uh, NFC needy teams. The Niners acquire Chase Young from the Niners. And, and the price for Chase Young ended up being like around pick 100 because the Niners reportedly sent a, a comp pick that they got for getting Rand Carthon hired, or not getting, but Rand Carthon earning the job uh, in Tennessee. And that is like pick number 100 or whatever because it's the back of the third round. Yeah, it's a commensurate pick. That's a pretty low pick for Chase Young. I can't imagine the Vikings would have even picked up the phone for that for Daniel Hunter. Um, I would imagine they were looking for a second rounder or or better, and clearly they didn't get it. And I, yeah, Ben, you bring up how he says this isn't impacting our long term outlook. Well, it is in the fact that you're stuck still with just two picks in the first three rounds next year. There are third round picks in Detroit. Um, they have draft capital, but seven picks on day three currently out of their nine picks that they're currently at. So they weren't able to really build outside of adding that sixth rounder from uh, from Jacksonville. That's Carolina's pick. So I, I don't think Quasey had a lot to say in terms of where they were at other than to say, we'll just kind of keep going where we're going. There wasn't a magic bullet fix for losing Kirk Cousins. No, there, and there's not going to be a magic bullet that's not really, really expensive and probably not realistic to acquire. Because if you're trying to get a quarterback that is going to be your long-term solution and can also help you this year, Teams are not generally in the mood to give those players up. Uh, it, and if they are, it's going to cost you dearly. So I that wasn't a realistic scenario to find a player of that magnitude. So you do have to kind of just say, we're going to roll with it. The fact that they did not say this is a 
kind of an indicator that we need to just say, you know what, it's not going to happen. We can't replace Kirk Cousins. We can't run the offense effectively or as effectively as we otherwise would. The fact they didn't say that I, I think is interesting. I, I think it tells you – I mean, Kevin O'Connell I think was probably saying let's stay in. We believe in this team and this locker room it would have an effect. I also wonder what the conversations were like with the Wilfs. And, and Quasey talked about having those conversations with the Wilfs. The approach of let's stay in, I, I would assume, is probably the one that the Wilfs would would favor. Um, it, it's just an interesting sort of dance, especially given what O'Connell talked about the other day of we live in these two worlds that sometimes can seem contradictory, but yeah. it's uh, – it continues to be a fascinating way to go about it because they are sort of trying to play out the hypothesis that we can we can have it all. We can do it now and we can be competitive later. So it's a, it's a bold theory, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Well, and they're not even committing entirely to Josh Dobbs being the starter yet. No, not even close. It, it it sounds like what they're doing is it's going to be Jaron Hall's show until Nick Mullins is eligible to come back, and then we'll see about Mullins' health. We'll see about Dobbs picking up the playbook and just kind of who ends up shaking out among the veteran options. My guess is this is Jaron Hall's one and only start for the Vikings. It would seem that way, although you never know. I mean, if he depends on how he plays in Atlanta. If he plays really well and they win, you would imagine that – they might look at it as kind of a hot hand situation or, hey, you haven't done anything to lose the job. But kind of circling back on Kwesi for one more thing, it was, I think everything you guys are saying is kind of a bigger way of, of kind of summarizing that it's, I think a lot of us locked in on the Dobbs acquisition just because that was, you know, in the moment, what are they going to do about quarterback? But Kwesi was talking more about, it was more about what they didn't do than what they did do that kind of drove that day. And that the Hunter thing was really the thing that he was, he'd been locked in on for a while, like trying to decide, are we going to, are we going to try to trade this guy? What are we this year? And, you know, even if he said that the conversation doesn't change much from one and four to four and four, it kind of has to at a certain point. Like the, the narrative of your, of your season is kind of your record at a certain point. Yeah, he said to that question about, you know, what were you thinking at that point at one and four? He said, we thought we were a better team, pointed to the turnover rate um, and just how they kind of do their own grading of their own roster. They felt like they were better than a one and four team. They said here at four and four is more of what they thought they would be at through eight games of the season, which is revealing about how they thought about this team going into it. It's not like, you know, with the moves they made, we all knew that they didn't think they'd repeat 13 and four like they did last year. But um, this Daniel Hunter saga is one that seems like it's going to just only end with him leaving and getting paid elsewhere. But with him playing the way he's played, you know, we've talked about potentially him playing his way back into their plans. Maybe he's playing their way out of their plans even farther because he's going to He's going to play up to the lofty kind of price tag he's been putting on himself. Yeah, there are only so many players that can be in their plans, especially when Justin Jefferson presumably is in their plans. Christian Derisaw is in their plans. We have not talked about that. That's going to be an expensive proposition as well. And if Kirk Cousins is somehow in their plans, it's not going to be for 
$2 million a year. I, I don't know what that deal looks like. My guess is it will not be as cheap as we might think. How, so, How does his void year, his $28 million dead money, how does that factor in if they resign? Does that just go away or does that, how does that it part does of it? It does not go away. It does change. And I'm going to try, I, I tried to explain this on KFAN yesterday and it's like, this sounds like watching paint dry. There's not like a quick way to explain this. Basically, the way it works is he has four void years on his deal. So it's like six something million for each, or probably, I suppose, Close to seven. seven. Yeah, about seven. Yeah, if it's 28 and a half, it'd be seven and change for those four years. When a player is released or when a player's contract ends and he has dead money left on the deal, this works the same way as a signing bonus does. If there's still these annual prorations on the deal that are left, they all hit the cap at once. And that's what's going to happen next year if, that, they, don't re- if they don't resign. Correct. The okay. four years, you take the, the annual number, multiply it by four, it adds up to 28 and a half, so it's 7.125, I think. That would all hit at once. If they signed him to a deal, say they signed him to a two-year deal, yeah. those void years then hit year by year. So you'd have... Not twenty eight and a half million next year. It'd be like seven point one two five would hit next year. Seven point one two five would hit the year after that, and then the rest of it, whatever's left over, would hit when his okay. contract is done. That's much clearer than I explained it on the radio. Yeah, that makes sense. Take two is better. Practice makes perfect. Yes, yeah. it does. So <laughs> you could basically take twenty one and change off of the cap next year. In terms of the bonus money, so you take whatever you're going to pay him and add 7.125 to it next year, and then the rest of it is still sitting out there for future years. But effectively, it means that if you're already assuming a cap hit of 28.5 million next year, and you can take 21 and three eighths basically out of that, there's enough room to figure something out to pay him next year with new money, base salary, signing bonus, whatever, and still have the cap number probably be lower than what you were counting on now. So it's not impossible if he looks at it and says, I want to get paid market rate. I want to be paid in a way that reflects the fact that the going rate for a quarterback now is over $40 million. That's a little tougher to do. I, you'd have to push some money into the future, and then you're continuing to kick cans down the yeah. road and bank on the salary cap going up and all of that. And you still don't have your quarterback at the future. You don't, and you still have to sign your receiver mm-hmm. and all of that, and your left, and your left tackle. tackle. Yeah. So, and you have to figure out a pass rusher somewhere. It, it's <laughs> other than that, it's been great. It would depend, I think, and, and Quasi alluded to this a little bit. Once they sit down and say, "This is what we think the price is." What do you think the price is? It, it's impossible to answer this question without knowing how that's going to go. And we're just not going to know that until they probably get in a room and, and figure out a lot of the variables between now and next spring, including where they're picking in the draft. It, they can say all they want now about we want him back. It's like, yeah, if, if he wants to be here at, at the price that we want and the term that we want, that's really easy. If it looks different than that, then the, that's where the conversation, that's where the negotiations have to happen. And his market value, with at least with the Vikings, could fluctuate greatly in these next nine games while he's on the couch. It's like if someone yes. comes in and pl- 
takes them to a six and three record the rest of the way. Like say Josh Dobbs is the starter in, you know, for the like, you know, seven or eight games, the last seven or eight games of the season and plays reasonably well. Don't they have to look at it and say, eh, maybe the system is the thing that's driving well, this thing to a certain degree. Here's, here's the precedent for this. It happened in San Francisco last year because yeah, it's happened in San Francisco for five years, six right. years. Well, yeah, Shanahan, yeah. But this idea that we – it's like this is going to sound like Denny Green. The system is the thing. And Cousins was good before O'Connell yes. got here. So. Cousins is playing at a significantly higher level than Jimmy Garoppolo did there. Yes. So I don't want to make yes. a one-to-one comparison. Right. Let, before we start this conversation, let's say that. Cousins is, is playing at a better level than Jimmy Garoppolo. If they were to come out and be effective without him, though yeah. – the, the 49ers got to this point where they basically said, hey, we can win without having to pay the quarterback a ton of money because we have Trent Williams, we have Debo Samuel, we have Christian McCaffrey, we have a great defense. All of these things around the quarterback make the quarterback's job a lot easier so we can hedge a little bit and say we're going to be okay. So if they were to come out and make some kind of a run – yeah, I, I could see somebody sitting in that room saying, we don't have to go pay a quarterback all this money when we have all of these ways to make a quarterback's life easier already on the roster. The flip side, of course, is that they look terrible with a different quarterback. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, ah, we can't imagine life without Kirk Cousins. Well, and they were playing at a level with him, and they were leaning on him in a way in terms of all of the things they want at the line of scrimmage and all of the things they want of him directing the offense – it is. I mean, this is, I think, where you hear a little bit of the Kevin O'Connell, boy, I don't know that I want to end that kind of thing because he, I mean, Dalton Reisner said it in the locker room today as well that the amount of time he has, the amount of experience he has, the amount of command he has of this offense allows them to do a lot. And it is going to look different without that. So a lot of this hinges on O'Connell, Wes Phillips, Chris O'Hara, Grant Udinsky, I mean, all of the people that are in charge of getting a quarterback ready to play, they've got to go do some of their best work now. Yeah, they're going to earn their money. Yes, um, they are. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a lot of information. I don't know if it's yeah. going to be information they want, though. I uh, I wouldn't put money on it. Yeah, I, I just I don't think it's going to look good. I put $28.5 million on it? <laughs> no, I, I think they've got a great coaching staff, and it's evident by the fact that Kirk has done what he's done and this offense has done what they've done uh, without a running game um, with 16 passing touchdowns to zero rushing touchdowns before they got their first one. And with how much they lean on Kirk, as you guys are talking about, to put that on a new guy, and I know it's not going to be a one-for-one apples-for-apples copy. It is going to be a different offense. They're going to try and put less on Jaron Hall, less on Nick Mullins, less on Josh Dobbs. No matter what, though, it's going to be third and seven, and buddy, you're going to have to make the throw. And I just think it's going to be really hard even against Atlanta, who is not a world-beater defense, but they still got some players. And and I think they have some players in the secondary as well. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the top corner's name that the Vikings – A.J. Terrell that the yeah. Vikings liked a few years ago. Um, Clemson kid. So I just – I think this is going to be bad. I don't think it's going to look good. So I guess this is a good transition point to talk me into this being them going on a run that you're talking about. Well, I <laughs> <laughs> I just don't look. It's an easy yeah. schedule. I get yeah. that the schedule pans out. We um we talk in the mailbag later this week about how they don't they don't really have a quarterback disadvantage until maybe Russell Wilson, like right. a clear cut like right. 
disadvantage. So, and I do think O'Connell's going to coach his way into some some wins here. A lot of Mister Limiteds on the schedule before they play Mister Unlimited. Yeah, but how is it not just going to be seven and ten, eight and nine, and the defense having to win you some games here? Well, there's there's certainly that risk. I think Jaron Hall. I mean, the idea that he's going to go in there and not miss a beat. I mean, if if he does that on Sunday, we'll all have a lot to write about, and we'll all be eating some crow in the process. I think it is hard to envision that happening. I think the way they would make a run, probably from where I sit now, and very possible I'm going to be wrong about this if Jaron Hall goes on a run, but from where I sit at this point, I think if they're going to go on a run, it's probably more likely it happens with Nick Mullins or Josh Dobbs as the quarterback simply because those guys have more experience, have shown they can do it at this level. They may not be as fish out of water in terms of being able to run the offense all those different things um again we haven't seen it with jaron hall and the times we saw in the preseason it's like well, there's some things to to work on here so i think if they're going to make a run it's going to be because one of the veterans that they have is up to the task and i think the fact that they made the trade that they did tells you that they at least want to keep their options open that nobody is is assuming that Jaron Hall comes in and it's okay, it's your show and, and we're going to be just fine. Again, maybe we'll be completely wrong about that. But I think the way they would make a run at this point is you get one of those veterans in there, you get Jefferson back, you make things easy enough to work on offense. Yeah, the running game still isn't there, but you know maybe some of the short passes, run after catch stuff that you could maybe do with Jefferson Addison makes life easier. And your defense continues to play at a, a level that I frankly think has been punching above its weight. Yeah, Brian Flores is yeah. certainly earning his money as well. Yeah, um, yeah. The run game is ugly. Um, even like they trade Ezra Cleveland, we haven't really talked much about that. And even with Reisner in there, um, it's not like he's changing a whole lot. And you've got you've got Ed Ingram, Bradbury, Reisner, O'Neal. You've got Hawkinson. You've got just different people missing at times. You've got the running backs, neither Madison nor Akers seemingly playing that well in terms of just the feel for either zone or gap, whatever kind of scheme they're trying to throw out there. Um, so that's going to be no friend for, for um, Jaron Hall or Nick Mullins or Josh Dobbs. Um, what did you think of, of the Ezra move? And what does that say, I guess, about this interior O-line uh, moving forward because whether it's Kirk or whoever, they're going to need to shore that up yeah. in, in the long term. Yeah, they are. And I think the Ezra move is one where they weren't going to re-sign him. They clearly, I mean, I've heard it, you've heard it, we both said it on here, that that was not in their thinking. An extension was not in their thinking. So if you're going to lose him anyway and you maybe get a comp pick for him if somebody else goes and signs him, you basically get the comp pick a year early from what you would otherwise probably receive for him, so you might as well get something. And you report it's the Panthers pick, which means it's like the it's it top might be of the, the sixth first pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. top so of the sixth, bottom of the fifth, effectively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a good sixth, and if you were going to get a, well, it's a better sixth than you get for a compensatory sixth. I guess we could say it that way. Um, yeah, so I think. It was, let's get something for him. Um, that, I think, from what I heard yesterday, was certainly the preferred destination for him. Phil Rauscher, former Vikings offensive line coach, is the O-line coach down there. So this, I think, had been talked about in, in terms of 
possibly him going somewhere. And, and Jacksonville was definitely his preferred spot because of that relationship with Phil Rauscher. I think some of it is get what you can for a guy that's not in your plans anyway and help him get to a spot where he wants to be. And clearly he was not somebody that they were losing a lot of sleep about not having. And this kind of confirms that once more. Yeah. Ezra knew Ezra knew it. Um, and uh, his teammates knew. I talked to Bradbury today and, and um, those guys were really close. And Bradbury said, I'm happy for him in the sense that he's going somewhere where he's wanted and that he has a chance to get paid. Yeah. So it was even among the linemen, they knew that, you know, this, this was not a guy who was going to get a, a check from the Vikings after this season. Um, I'm also really quickly on Cleveland. I'm also curious to see if he ends up trying to move back to tackle at some point. Nobody has seen it in the NFL, but I, I have heard enough to think that if he had his druthers, he's a tackle, not a guard. And the fact that they moved him when they did, and we saw only a little bit of it early on before they moved him to guard and said, Riley Reef, you're still playing left tackle. You know, Maybe he's not able to do it at this level, but I think in his perfect world, left tackle would probably be his spot. I know he wanted to stay here, which means he certainly would have been fine getting paid as a guard. Right, right. It's yeah, not about, you're not going to be left tackle here. Yeah, so it's not about the money necessarily, but maybe you're right. In a fresh start, perfect world, if he could start over somewhere, maybe he is. But Jacksonville apparently is going to look at him as a guard. Yeah. Um, so it's not going to be a mid-season change no. for him. But no. it's also been like, yeah, five years since he's done it. Yeah. So I do think that from like a money standpoint, it makes sense. Um, I don't know if from a football standpoint it does, or if that's something that a team will even entertain. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he would if he's going to get signed. It's probably as a guard, but maybe he gets to a spot where somebody gets hurt, he gets a chance to play tackle, and that opens things up. I that may just be a, a pipe dream for him, but it's I think worth keeping that in mind. Let's talk about Sunday's game uh, quick. It's Taylor Heineke against Jaron Hall. This is the second straight year they're going to see Taylor Heineke after the game in Washington last year where uh, he kind of balled out a little he bit. Did. He made it close. It took – I mean, our ref took out Cam Bynum. Yep. So so he had, he had some a, help. Had assist on one touchdown pass. <laughs> he had some help, but – But I think they were chanting his name at FedEx Field, and part of that was, I think, a troll job on Kirk Cousins. But Oh, I, I didn't know But I remember yeah. they were sitting there chanting, Heineke, yep. Heineke. So – yeah, we've seen it. This guy keeps cropping up. Um, Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, named keeps kicking through doors. Named Taylor Heineke the starter today. Uh, they will make that switch from Desmond Ritter. It's Kyle Pitts. It's Bijan Robinson. It's Drake London. It's a really talented offense. A well schemed running game when they use their stars. Apparently, Bijan Robinson was his head was hurting last week, so he didn't play much. Um, but this is an offense that is going to test Brian Flores' defense. Uh, it's a game the Vikings could lose. Yeah, I think it's certainly a game they could lose. That defense is not a bad defense either, so it's going to be a test for Jaron Hall. No Grady Jarrett, which I think helps the Vikings there, but this is also an offense that, I mean, Arthur Smith wants B. John Robinson probably to be what Derrick Henry was for him in Tennessee. Maybe not the same level of player, but B. John Robinson is awfully talented, so they will, I think, try to make things easier for Taylor Heineke by saying, let's run the ball and let's try to beat you up a little bit. The Vikings haven't played a team that has done that terribly effectively. Now, the 49ers would have been the team, but no Trent Williams and you know, no Debo Samuel as a counterpunch that night. But they did a great job against Christian McCaffrey in that game. Can they do that again against B. John Robinson? We'll see. I, I think the, the Falcons will certainly try to test them in that 
facet of things. Yeah, the Vikings didn't do too well against DeAndre Swift and the Eagles, but... No, that's the one glaring example. But Kevin O'Connell and, and Brian Flores have been quick to point out that you know we, they feel like they can defend the run better against non-mobile quarterbacks, that Jalen Hurts was a big reason why they can open up so yeah. many gaps yeah. for DeAndre Swift. And it's kind of panned out because, like you said, they did well against McCaffrey with a, a Purdy who doesn't run as a designed runner. Uh, he's more of a, a scrambler. So this Brian Flores defense has done surprisingly well against um, straight up running teams where it's just the running back you got to worry about. So especially when they're not using that to many defensive linemen. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, so we'll have to see how they go about it this week. But they are rolling. They only have allowed 16 points per game over the last five games. This four and one stretch that is fourth in the NFL. Um, this Vikings defense is flirting with being a top 10 defense for the first time since 2019. Man, so the first time <clears throat> since the last playoff team under Mike Zimmer. Because yeah. I, I think the I've never had a bad defense quote from Zim year, was yeah. the following year when they had gotten rid of – they'd kind of done the roster reset on the fly where they got rid of all the veterans mm-hmm. and tried to, to switch it over. And that, as we found out that Christmas, was in fact a bad defense. It sure was. Well – Uh, We will talk to you guys next time. Uh, Ben will be in Atlanta. I'll be back here in Minneapolis. We will be discussing the Vikings' latest game against the Atlanta Falcons. We'll also have the mailbag for you on Friday. But until then, please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. Tribune.com.